0: I'd invite you all to turn in your Bibles or turn in your apps. Click in your apps to Revelation chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible in front, if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one, should be a blue one in front of you in the pews. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. The Bible has 66 books written by, I think, close to over 40 different authors, but all proclaiming the same thing, God proclaiming Him, showing us the way of salvation. So Revelation chapter 10, and just as we begin, after taking a month-long break where we took time to notice and observe Christ's triumphal entry, His death and His resurrection, by His death and resurrection, we're saved, we're given new life, and we took time then to see what it was like for the disciples, only a short time, what it was like in between his death and his ascension, his resurrection and his ascension, and especially how Peter was affected and how he was restored, restored to ministry. And it, I enjoyed that time. But now we're back in our series in Revelation the triumph of the Lamb. And this morning, we are going to witness John and the Sweet and Sour Scroll. John and the Sweet and Sour Scroll. I know it says bitterness in the ESV, but I felt I could take liberties because the NIV and the New Living Translation said sour, and it just rhymed better, so <laughs> just thought of it. I'm going to ask you a question. And it's been asked throughout the ages... The ages mean from the beginning of time to where we are now. Why does God allow evil to prosper? Why is Satan to allowed to deceive the nations? Why is he allowed to run, it seems, roughshod on mankind, but yet he's not allowed to run roughshod because he is bound he is detained. I should say he's contained. He can do nothing that God does not allow him to do. So he is contained. But why is this? And with these questions come more questions. I'm not going to answer that question today. That's not today's, question, today's sermon. But with that question comes more. If God is holy, if God is holy, all-powerful and loving, why does he allow this to happen? If you haven't asked that question, you're lying to me. Why doesn't he stop these things? Why doesn't he say, no, enough? Why? Another question in that same vein is often asked is, how long, God, until you act? How long? How long before you Take action. The 12 disciples asked this question. Tom read a little bit about this. It it was the same occurrence. The 12 disciples asked this during Passion Week when they looked over the temple and they said, Oh, look at this temple. And Jesus said, It's going to be turned over, it's going to be destroyed. And they say, When are these things going to happen? When, When is this going to happen? Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? We want to know. We're curious creatures. We want to know. After Jesus died for the sins of of all who would believe and rose again, they asked him this direct question as they were on the Mount of Olives just before he ascended into heaven. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know. When are you going to do this? When are you going to act? And Jesus said this, we need to listen to this. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Come on, I want to know. Every one of these men, less one, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, every one of these men who asked this question died a martyr's death, every single one. And they didn't experience God's final victory for them until they died. The question still lingers. Even after a martyr's death on earth, they still ask the question, we read this in Revelation chapter six: "The souls who had been slain for the word of God and for Christ." They asked this question, Revelation 6, chapters 10, or excuse me, Revelation 6, verses 10 through 11, "O sovereign Lord, O holy and true One, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth?" How long? How long? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. The Lord didn't say this day would never come. He said, wait. How long? When will God speak? When will his silence end? Here's perceived silence. He's not silent. He's given us his scriptures. He's not silent. Although when we can't get our answers that we want, we cry out. When will you make things right, O God? When will you make things right? And in verse 7 of chapter 10, we get our answer. Look at that. Verse 7 of chapter 10 of our passage this morning. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. When this seventh trumpet blows, the time of waiting will be over. God's supposed silence will end. It's been said, All the counsels and all the purposes of God concerning men and the world will be consummated. Christ will come. The kingdoms will be established on earth. Satan will be halted, bound in change, and delivered to a prison, and with him his demons. Righteousness will rule. Knowledge will fill the earth. Christ will be king, and God will speak. Amen. Again, when will this take place? The answer, I said it before, as soon as the seventh trumpet blows. Well, where we last left off over a month ago, we heard about the fifth and the sixth trumpet judgments. The fifth were demonic locusts that had the ability to sting mankind, to torture mankind for five months, but yet not to kill them. Five months of total agony where men would seek to die but couldn't. That's the fifth trumpet. And then the sixth trumpet. A demonic army. 300 million of them led by four generals that come out of the river Euphrates. Evil angels which were allowed to kill. A third of mankind Terrifying occurrences that John witnessed and wrote down. And now, before the seventh trumpet blows, we come. John comes to an interlude. It's as if God gives him a break. He says, John, I'm going to give you just a time to catch your breath. And it gives us a break as well. I told you before that I was glad I didn't have to preach the next week on Revelation because I was tired. Because when the seventh trumpet blows, there'll be no more delay. No more delay. The seventh trumpet brings the seven bowls of God's wrath upon the earth and those who live on it. This is tough stuff. Hard stuff. Maybe another way to say it this morning in our passage, it, it allows us to breathe... Before the sprint to the end, would you stand with me as I read this morning's passage from Revelation chapter 10? The Word of God says Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs were like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open to the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. May God bless the reading of his word, and may it sink deep into our heart. May it change us. May we change our lives because of it. You may be seated. This morning's passage is broken into two parts. It's not three poems or three poems, or three things in a, pro, a poem excuse me, three parts in a poem. It's two parts. They're kind of they're real simple. We'll observe another mighty angel. That's it. And the assignment that the mighty angel gave to John: Another mighty angel and the assignment that the mighty angel gave to John. What about this angel? What about this angel? Or maybe a better question would be, who is this angel? Because of his attire and his appearance, many believe that John is describing the Lord Jesus Christ here. I'm going to lay my cards out on the table. I don't believe that that's so. Just, I, I don't believe it is so. I'm going to give you a, a few reasons why, but as I was talking to John Doobie this week, and we were, we were talking about this, and it really doesn't matter, really, one way or another, who it was, but yet I know it's not Christ, and I'll explain to you why. The text says that he is another angel, much like the angel that was described in John 5 2. I'm going to get really. Greeky onion right now. The Greek word Alon means it's a distinct angel. Okay, distinct, it's different, but the same. But one of the same. Concerning the angel, I find it telling that John didn't worship this angel. He didn't hit his he didn't hit his head on the or his head on the ground and say, and he even told the angel give me that scroll. I don't think you're going to tell the risen Lord Jesus what to do. The angel is said to be coming down from heaven. I know that this seems trivial, but things, little trivial things matter to me. If this is Jesus coming down, that would be his second coming. And then when he comes again, that'll be his third coming. He's only coming twice. He came once the first time to live a perfect life to die a perfect death for you and me were sinners he came the first time he died on a cross and rose again from the dead and he rose again and he was ascended to heaven where he now awaits to come back the time when he'll make all things right and we'll see that in Revelation 19 The second to last reason I don't believe that this is Christ is because every time that John identifies Jesus in Revelation, he's always very clear to give him an unmistakable title. It's not another angel. No, this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The last reason is, is this, and I think it's odd that Christ would utter an oath to make sure what is going to happen is true? Well, speaking about his description, let's begin by observing the angel's attire. John writes in verse 1 that he was wrapped in a cloud, wrapped in a cloud and had a rainbow wrapped around him as well over his head. Now, every time that this speaks of, of someone in the Scripture coming in the clouds, judgment This angel is coming in judgment. It symbolizes majesty and glory, which he received from God. And it just, his mission is judgment. That's what we have to think about this. He's coming down. The seventh trumpet is going to blow. But more than that, the angel also has a rainbow. It means mercy. When was the first rainbow? I know all our kids who know this answer left. But when was the first time that the world saw a rainbow? It was after the flood. After great judgment, God put his bow into the sky that he would never flood the earth totally again. After judgment came mercy. Well, that's a look at the angel's attire, but let's look at the angel's appearance. His face was like the sun. The sun. This too depicts majesty, too awesome to look at it, representing light, representing holiness. Remember, no one can look at God's face. God just gave this angel a little bit less glory than he had. His legs like a pillar of fire, unbending fire, fire. Again, always, always fire representing judgment. Symbolizes judgment in the Word of God. And in the context of Revelation, fire consumes the ungodly and anything unholy. Remember, Revelation, symbols. The pictures are symbols, but yet there are many things that we must take literally. These are symbols, but we must take them literally. The little scroll in his hand. When's the last time we saw a little scroll? Or not a little scroll, a scroll. We saw this in Revelation chapter 5. When the scroll, the seven-sealed scroll, was in God's hand, and Christ came before the Lord and took the scroll. The scroll signified the title deed to the earth. Is this a different scroll? Or is it a different one? Well... Where honestly we aren't we aren't told, but I'm going to tell you what I think. It's, I believe it's what's left of the scroll. The seventh you know, the seven sealed scrolls, the only the only the seventh seal remains that re- takes the trumpets. The only the last trumpet is to remain and it's smaller. The best option is the scroll is the revealed counsels of God concerning what will take place once the seventh trumpet blows the last three and a half years. And the scroll has to be smaller because as we've read and we will see, it must be and will be consumed by John. Oh, well, we've witnessed the angel's attire, his appearance, and now John gives details about the angel's actions. Alright, look, look in your scriptures. Look at verse 2, in the second half of verse 2. And this is the angel when he came down. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Now, look at this. Let's, I'm going to do a bad imitation. I don't want to look like a sumo wrestler. All right, so there's the land. There's the sea, and he comes down from heaven. This is like a conqueror. This is me. This is what's happening. This is God taking back the earth, and it started now, signifying all of God's creation. Angel. He must have been huge. Remember, it's a vision. I tried to think, what, what could I think of this thing? This no, he's not a thing. He's an angel. What did this angel have looked like? How big could it have been, like the Statue of Liberty? I don't, I don't know. But his, his, his foot is on the sea, and his, hand, his, his other foot's on the land. He's Huge. Huge. The scriptures say this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Judgment's coming. Judgment is coming, and his voice matches his size. It's loud. It's magnificent. It's like a lion. And when a lion roars, it's deep, it's loud, and you back away. But his voice is very legible it's just magnificently majestic in fact what he's what he said is recorded in verse six but let's talk about the thunder let's talk about the thunder seven thunders all right do you remember what the number seven we have well, there are seven things we had seven churches seven literal churches but what does the number seven represent in the scriptures completedness, fullness. Seven thunders, complete. Thunders always present when God is near. Thunder on Mount Sinai when the law was given. How about this in the Psalms? The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. Thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Seven times the voice of the Lord in Psalm 29. Verse 4. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Well, John's just doing what he's been told to do, right? He's he sees and he writes. He sees and he writes, and he's writing in a in a first century, what a first century man would understand. And he's, wow, did you hear what that thunder said? I, I, Talking to himself, of course. I got to write this down, but what? No, no, don't. Cease, desist. Don't write it. It's almost like Daniel was told in the last chapter of Daniel, in Daniel 12: don't write, these things will happen at the end. What do you think the thunder spoke? That's the wrong question to ask. That was a trick question to get you to go, well, I wonder what he was saying. We're not told. We're not told for a reason. John was told not to write. John had the, had the, just the, He didn't have the ability to see it. He had the pleasure, the the greatness, the the honor to be able to see what was there or hear what the angel or the thunder spoke. But he wasn't supposed to write it. It was for John, it was to bolster him, it was to build him up. The truth is. Again, the things that we don't know that aren't written in, scriptures, in the Scriptures, we don't need to know them. Newsflash, I know that we probably don't need to be told this, but we're human. God knows more than you do. And I will use the we as well. God knows more than we do. In church, there are things that we don't understand, and that's okay. Know that. There are things that God keeps from His people, His children, for their own good. I'll ask you, parents, are there things that you have kept from your child because they're not Old enough or strong enough to understand it? Details of a tragedy, details that they're not able to process. God's doing the same thing. In this case, how much worse could it get? Remember the first six seals? They account for a quarter of the earth's population. A quarter of it. One fourth. The trumpets, the six trumpet judgments, they account for another third. I'm not a mathematician, but that is over half of the people of the world have been killed so far. They've been judged. And what we do know, though, is that John needed to hear what he heard. In God's providence, everyone else did not. We don't need to know what was said. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. What you need to know is in here with God, God's Spirit helping you to understand it. It's here. One of my favorite preachers of mine has said, he said, remember the purposes of Scripture is to save sinners, sanctify character, not to satisfy curiosity. Which brings us to the angel's announcement. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. That's what he's doing. He's taking an oath. He's taking an oath. He has God's scroll in his left hand, and in his right hand, he raises it up where heaven, where God dwells. It's a gesture that was to affirm before God what he was about to say was of the utmost importance and truthfulness. What he said is recorded for us beginning at verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the right hand raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, and there would be no more delay, and there would be no more delay. But that, in the days of the trumpet call, to be sounded by the seventh angels, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophet. How long? It's next in the agenda. It is the next item. It's coming. And when it begins, when the seventh trumpet blows, Satan's kingdom will be systematically smashed. It'll be dismembered. And God's kingdom will come. Could you imagine? Can you imagine with the martyrs underneath the throne, when they were underneath there, when they heard this, can you imagine the cheers? Yes! It's happening. It's finally
1: happening. Woohoo!
0: <laughs> and for everyone who has ever asked how long, What's meant by the mystery of God? Because I think we can get confused with how we understand mystery. He's not talking about a whodunit. All right? It's not not a murder mystery. It's not a mystery you'd buy off of off of Amazon or in the old days where you'd go to the grocery store to the, the magazine rack. No, it's a mystery. It's called a mysterion in Greek. It speaks of something that has been hidden from, the human, from human beings, human beings where we couldn't understand it, and now is revealed in God's time, like the gospel. The mysteries of the Old Testament, what, what are some of them? Well, I'll let you know in a minute, but God wrote this, or excuse me, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. I think it helps us here. He wrote in the last chapter, he said, "Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. What's, what's the Gospel of Jesus? Gospel of Jesus: He came to save sinners, He died, He rose again. And if those who believe, if you turn from your sins, you turn from your ways, trying to please God, you turn to Christ, you believe you're saved. That's the gospel. Then he continues, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for, the, for long ages. That was kept secret, but has now been disclosed through prophetic, the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The mysteries revealed in the Old Testament. The first mystery what did God mean by the serpent's head being crushed? That's the first mystery. That's, that's the first hint of the gospel. Another mystery. What, what and who do these sacrifices, these bloody sacrifices, who do they point to? This is a mystery. How does a, how does a dead sheep or a dead goat, or a dead cow, how does this do anything to save me? It pointed to Christ. How about this? Will not, I'll not, not let my Holy One stay in Hades or stay in Sheol, and he will not. his body will not see corruption. What does that mean? Well, it was all answered. The mystery was answered when Jesus rose from the dead. And probably my, my favorite mystery of all, he was pierced for our transgressions. Points directly to Christ. That mystery's been answered. A commentator has written in, I quote, Remember at the time this revelation is read by believers in the future. The earth will be full of satanic enterprises, demons running everywhere, murder, sexual perversion, drugs, sorceries, thefts, all hell-dominating human society, men dropping dead, executed by demons, as we saw, massacring each other, and here comes the promise that God is going to step in and intervene. He's going to bring this whole thing to a screeching halt. The delay is over. The mystery will be solved. Somewhere in the future, whether it be a little over three and a half years from now, 35 years from now, 350 years from now, or 1,350 years from now, an angel is going to put his lips to a trumpet, and air is going to come from those lips into that trumpet, into that shofar, and it is going to blow, and God's final action against evil will begin. Everything right on schedule. Nothing will delay God's purposes and nothing will speed it up. It will happen just as God said it will happen when he has decreed. Now we'll finish with the assignment that the mighty angel gave John. Well, the voice had forbidden John to write down what he heard. And but he did give him an unusual task. But it's not unheard of by the Lord's prophets. Jeremiah was told to do the same thing. Ezekiel was told to do the same thing. And when we understand what John is asked to do, I believe that we need to figuratively, we need to do the same thing. John was called to step up to this imposing angel and take what was in his hand. Look at verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but it, in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, and my stomach was made bitter, and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, and languages, and kings. Just as Ezekiel had been told. Ezekiel had been commanded by the Lord to take it and eat God's word. Eat it. And it's going to taste like honey. But when you consume it, it's going to make your stomach sour. Now we know that God's word is sweet. For those who accept it and those who hear it and those who put it into use, we know that it's sweet. Psalm 19 tells us the, the word of God is sweet. Psalm 119, verses 103. The word of God is sweet, sweeter than honey. Proverbs 24, 13 through 14. It says this God's words are good, they're reliable, they're life giving. They, the promise of God is good, it's sweet to the taste. And when people hear and receive them, they bring life. But, but, when a prophet, a follower of Christ, digests the word, understands the consequences, listen, when they understand the consequences and realize that God's judgment will soon be unleashed on stubborn, rebellious human beings, it's heart-wrenching. I don't see any of us here who can look at this and say, yeah, it's coming to you. Not my worst enemy. Not my worst enemy do I want this to happen. But yet it will. It makes your stomach bitter. It makes your stomach sour. Yes, God's Word is sweet. But it's hard to hear. The absorbing of God's Word also allows us to see how far We fall short regarding where we should be in our walk with the Lord. When I look at God's word, I see where I fall short. And it does, it breaks my heart. But the sweetness of God's word, he comes and he lifts you up and he loves you just as much now as he did when you were saved. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. And that's sweet, but knowing how far I fall is bitter. Well, John ate the scroll. It's also a picture of what food provides, is it not? I don't eat because I don't, I I like to eat. I like to eat too much. But food provides nourishment. And without it, we starve. We need nutrients. And concerning revelation, John wanted to see God act. He wanted to see God act. How long? How long? And so do I. When I read this earlier, I am dead on. This is what's happening now. The world's falling apart. Other than demons executing men, it's happening. And it's going to be worse. But when do- John digested what was going to take place to a fallen, rebelling word, world, it was bitter. And we pray that God would come and release this us from this world, but we need to remember, there are people who are going to die in their sins if they do not hear from you, from you, from me, from you the truth what is the truth hell is real life is eternal understand what i said there we're going to live eternally either with christ or people will live in hell eternally away from him. And the last part makes me, my stomach, bitter. Church, I'll get personal. You you need to let those around you know what God has done, what he has provided. You need to tell the world the mystery, the mystery that's been revealed in Christ, that God sent Christ to save sinners not holding their sins against them if they turn and believe, and that is sweet news. And you need to preach that to yourself every day. The gospel isn't, always for the, isn't only for those who are non-believers. The gospel is for us to hear that every single day. And that's sweet news. But we also must deliver truth that is bitter. One day the last trumpet will blow and there will be nothing anyone can do about it. No way anyone can stop it. Truly sweet and sour can we pray Lord God we've been challenged today to eat your word to digest it to reveal to those around us all those of different tongues and nationalities even to leaders to reveal Lord God, the mystery of your son. You have not left us alone to do that alone, but you have given us your spirit to give us the words to be able to say, may we, like John, Be obedient and grab the scroll. May we eat it and may we digest it and tell the truth to others. Lord God, you are great and you are good. I praise you. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: All right, church, it's a simple chorus. It just says, I will say yes, Lord Jesus. I will say yes to your will, to your way. Let's stand together as we sing that.
0: saying it. Let's go do it. The Lord, if he tells us to do, we need to say yes. And when we say yes, remember who you said yes to. He'll give you the strength to carry it out. Father, I pray, I pray you give strength to this congregation as we leave today. You will walk with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. You have said yes. Go with us, Father. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go with God.